And I'm going to be reading our theme verses this morning for our text, 2 Timothy chapter 2. And when you find your place, stand with me please for the reverence of the reading of the Word of God, 2 Timothy chapter 2. And, um, <coughs> excuse me, uh, beginning in verse 19, uh, 2 Timothy chapter 2. I'm going to read verses 19 through 21. The Bible says, Nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure, having this seal, the Lord knoweth them that are his. Let every one that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. But in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and of silver, but also of wood and of earth, and some to honor and some to dishonor. If a man therefore purge himself from these, he shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified in meat for the master's use. So here's our theme for the year, and prepared unto every good work. Let's pray. Lord, we love you this morning. We thank you once again for allowing us to be in your house. Now, Lord, as we come to the most important part of the service, and that, Lord, is the uh, preaching of your word, we ask, God, that you meet with us. We ask, God, that you speak to us. We ask, God, that you would do something in our hearts this morning. Lord, the people didn't come here to hear from me today. They come to hear from you. And Holy Spirit of God, we ask that you be very active in our midst and do some great, mighty things, we pray. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Again, uh, the theme uh, is taken out of 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 21, uh, and prepared unto every good work. Now, last week I brought you a, a message as far as uh, what it means to be prepared. And we looked at a uh, life of the example of the prophet Elisha and saw how that he prepared uh, for the good works that God had for him to do. And I'm sure throughout the year we will be looking at some more biblical examples of men and women that prepared their lives for the work of God and for the good works that God had for them to do. But this morning, I want to look at the last two words of our theme, and that is the phrase, good work, good work. And I want to give you some principles this morning about being prepared unto every good work. What's the Bible have to say about good works? And that's what we're going to look at this morning. So let me uh, just give you uh, several principles this morning. And this may kind of be more like a Bible study uh, compared to uh, a sermon, although all my teaching is preaching. Amen? And uh, it's like I can't not be behind this pulpit and preach just happen, okay? When it's in you, it's going to come out. So I promise you there's going to be some preaching this morning. But let me give you some very basic, simple, but very important Bible truths about the subject of good works. Now, first and foremost, I want you to take your Bible. You're there in 2 Timothy. Flip back over a couple pages back to the book of Ephesians. The book of Ephesians chapter 2. And this point right here needs to be first and foremost and emphasized And uh, because I don't want any misunderstanding as far as the things that we're teaching. Uh, so here's the first point I want to give you this morning. And I think we all get this. I think we all understand this. But let me just emphasize it once again from the Scripture. And here's the number one point. We are not saved by good works. Man, I should have got a lot more amens out of that one, all right? Let's try that again. We are not saved by good works. Amen. That's exactly right. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9. Notice what the Bible says. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Now, come on. If anybody had any idea that you might be saved of works, what's it say there? The first three words of verse 9, not of works. How can that be any more plain than that? Amen? Not of works, lest any man should boast. So listen, folks, we need to understand something, all right? Yes, we're going to be talking about 
good works. We're going to talk about doing good works. I'm going to tell you right now, we're not saved by good works. Amen? Titus chapter 3, the Bible says this, verse 3 through 7, For we ourselves also were sometimes foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving divers' lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. Hey, that's the BC life. Amen? That's who we were before we become to know Jesus Christ. But, after that, the kindness and love of God our Savior toward men appeared. Aren't you glad that appeared in your life? Amen? Not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy, He saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost, which He shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior, that being justified by His grace, we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Listen again, very clearly the Bible says there that it's not of our good works. Amen? Not of our good works. Now, this is one of the core beliefs that set Bible-believing Christians apart from other religions and belief systems. And by the way, let me again just tell you, folks, we're not religious around here. Amen? You say, well, how can we not be religious? We go to church. We're part of a church. Listen, we're not religious. We have a relationship. And I love saying that. I love emphasizing that because that sums up perfectly what what it is we experience as born-again believers. Amen? A personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, other religions teach things like this. You cannot be saved unless you follow the Old Testament law. You cannot be saved unless you keep sacraments, uh, the sacraments of baptism, communion, and absolution. You cannot be saved unless you're baptized and turn away from all your sin. You cannot be saved unless you endure until the end. You cannot be saved unless you zealously work for Jehovah. You cannot be saved unless you fulfill the five pillars of Islam. You cannot be saved unless this or that or this work or that work. And folks, let me tell you right now, that is not biblical Christianity. Amen? How do you know if someone believes the truth or not? Well, just ask them what they believe about biblical salvation. Amen? And there's only one right answer, folks. Only one. Now, there's a multiple uh, different wrong answers, but only one right answer. And again, here's more, uh, here's more um, uh, uh, biblical proof toward that. Matthew chapter 7 is the passage where Jesus on, on, on a Sermon on the Mount is given some very strong warnings. And here's one of the warnings He gives. Listen to this in verse 21. Not everyone that saith unto Me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of My Father which is in heaven. Now, when you first read that, you may say to yourself, well, Jesus is saying that in order to be saved, you've got to do something. Well, the Bible's very clear what the will of the Father is. The Bible says God's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So what is the will of the Father? That people be saved. Amen? That's the will of the Father. And that's what Jesus is saying you must do in order to be saved. Notice here, many will say unto me in that day. I don't know about you, but that word many, that's a haunting word. Many will say unto me in that day, Lord, Lord, Have we not, here we go, here's the words, prophesied in thy name, and in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works. Listen, folks, there are going to be some people try to say to Jesus, Jesus, we don't understand. You don't understand. Hey, I was a preacher. I ought to be allowed in heaven because I was a preacher. Lord, I I, I cast out devils. I, I did miracles. I did many wonderful things. But notice what he says. Then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, 
ye that work iniquity. I hear a lot of people say all the time, well, I know the Lord. Well, I know the Lord. Listen to me. Let me tell you what's important. It's not whether you know the Lord. It's whether the Lord knows you. Whether the Lord knows you. And the only way to for the Lord to know you is if you have entered into a personal relationship with Him and it's called salvation. Amen? It's called being saved. And so I just want you to understand something, folks. First and foremost, and we're going to get right into these other points, but we are not saved by good works. Amen? If you're born again this morning, it's because there was a moment in time where you realized you were a sinner in need of a Savior, and you admitted that to Him, and you, you called out to Him, and as the Bible says, you believed in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead, and you put your faith and trust in Christ and Him alone. And if you've done that, then listen, you're not saved because I'm telling you you're saved. You're saved because the Bible says you're saved. Amen? That's called biblical salvation. The Bible says let, let a man examine himself. Every single one of us. Listen, folks, we, we're all good at some, at some point of putting on a show. All of us are. Amen? That's part of our stinking, fallen, Adamic nature. We're all good at uh, portraying things. Listen, folks, you can fool everybody else, but you can't fool God. And I'll just encourage you. I'm not trying to talk you out of your salvation. But let me just encourage you, please, 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 make sure you know 100% sure that you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior. Let me tell you what one of my worst fears is as a pastor. I said it to somebody yesterday. We were talking along these lines, and here's what I said. One of the worst fears I have as a pastor is that somebody would go to hell from the pews of White River Baptist Church. That's a fear of mine. I'll be honest with you. By the way, it keeps me praying for my people. It keeps me preaching the Word of God hot. It keeps me preaching the things like I'm preaching this morning. Amen? Listen, you're not saved because you belong to this church. You're not saved because you've been baptized. You're not saved because your parents were saved and your grandparents were saved. You're only going to heaven if you personally have accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior. Let me just encourage you. Make sure you're saved. Amen? Make sure you're saved. So number one, we are not saved by good works. Number two, let's get right into this. We are saved unto good works. Amen? Take your Bible back to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. Now I just read to you the verses, verse 8 and 9, that the Bible clearly teaches us that we're saved by grace through faith and not of works. But notice the next verse, because a lot of times we want to stop right there. Oh yes, praise God, I'm saved. I got my fire insurance. Whoopee, I'm going to heaven. Well, let me tell you something, folks. Getting saved ain't the end. It's just the beginning. Amen? Notice what he says in verse 10. For we, who is we? Those of us that are saved. We are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus. Here it is. Unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. That word unto, it means towards. It means in the direction of. It means in behalf of. Amen? In behalf of. Jesus said it this way in Matthew chapter 5. Ye, talking about Christians, ye are the salt of the earth. But if the salt hath lost the savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is henceforth good for nothing but to be cast out and to be trodden underfoot of men. Ye, talking about Christians, talking about me, talking about you, ye are the light of the world. Amen. A city that's set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and they give it light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so, uh, so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father 
which is in heaven. Amen? Hey, let me just remind us something, Christian. We're here for a reason. We're here for a purpose. And let me tell you what that reason and purpose is. It's to fulfill God's plan for our lives. And that plan is to do the work of God so it can bring glory to God. Amen? That's why we're here. And listen to me, folks. Maybe, you, maybe you've heard me say it this way. Maybe you've heard me describe it as the will of God. Or we would call it God's purpose. We would call it God's plan. Let me just encourage you this morning. If you're saved here this morning and you're still sucking air through your lungs and your heart's still uh, pumping blood through your body, then God is not done with you yet. Amen? He's got a plan for your life. He's got a purpose for your life. And it's up to you, it's up to me to fulfill the purpose for which God made us for. Amen? And let me tell you what that purpose is. To do good works and glorify our Father which is in heaven. That's the purpose. Jesus made it very plain, very clear. Romans chapter 1, verse 1 and 2. We talked through these verses last year. I, I preached several messages on these two passages. But again, let's be reminded of the truth. What's it say? I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Listen, when God made you, He made you for a purpose. He made you for a reason. We mentioned in Sunday school this morning, but when God made the prophet Jeremiah, He said to Jeremiah, He said, Before I formed you in the womb, I ordained you to be a prophet to the nations. Listen to me, folks. You know why I'm doing what I'm doing today? You know why I'm pastor of White River Baptist Church? Because God created me for this purpose. And I know beyond a shadow of a doubt, the number one thing I know in my life is that I'm saved. The number two thing I know that God called me to Princeton, Indiana to start and pastor White River Baptist Church and this is the perfect will of God for my life. I know that 100%. Amen? And let me tell you folks, all of us, God has a will. God has a plan for every single one of us. And we need to be busy about it. Amen? You know why? Because we're saved under good works. You're not saved by good works, but once you're saved, hey, guess what, Christian? Time to get busy. Amen? What Jesus say? I must be about my Father's business. And you know what? We need to be about our Father's business as well. Number three, Jesus set the example by doing good works. Jesus set the example by doing good works. Acts chapter 10, verse 38. Notice what He says here. And I'll have you turn to some passages, but listen to this one. Notice here, this is a... As they were preaching uh, about Christ, it says how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power, and who sent about, who went about talking about Jesus. He went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. Jesus said in John four thirty four, "My meat is to do the will of Him that sent me and to finish His work." John 5, 17, But Jesus answered them, My Father worketh here too, and I work. There's different recorded miracles that Jesus performed when He was here on His earthly ministry. But let me say this, folks. That's not all He did. In fact, the book of John tells us, in John 21, 25, it says, that, it says this, And there are also many other things which Jesus did, and uh, the which, if they should be written every one, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that should be written. Let me tell you something, folks. Jesus didn't waste time when He was here on earth. You know what He did the 33 and a half years He lived here? He went about doing good. Amen? And let me tell you, folks, everywhere He went, He was looking for opportunities to do good and to impact people for eternity. You say, well, preacher, 
If I was Jesus, of course I'd do good works. I mean, come on. He was the Son of God without sin. If I didn't have to worry about sin, I wouldn't have any problem doing good as well. Guess what? That excuse don't fly with God. Amen? Because notice what He says this. Jesus said this in John 14. Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that believeth on Me, the works that I do, shall he also do. Wow! So that means this. If you're a Christian this morning, you believe on Jesus Christ, guess what He expects you to be doing? The same works He did. By the way, what was He about? He was about seeking and saving that which was lost. Amen? Now I'm going to tell you right now, you're not going to do the exact same works He did. I mean, come on folks, I don't know about you, but you'll make a fool of yourself if you go to the funeral home and try to raise somebody out of a casket. Okay, they'll look at you like you're kooky. If you do that, don't tell them you go to White River Baptist Church. Amen? Alright? Tell them to go someplace else. But uh, Now listen, you're not going to do the exact works Jesus did. But let me tell you, I'm not done reading that verse, by the way. Notice what else Jesus said. And greater works than these shall He do, because I go unto my Father. And whatsoever you shall ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. And if you shall ask anything in my name, I will do it. Jesus said, listen, you're not only going to do some of the same works I did, you're going to do greater works than I did. You say, what? How in the as a as a uh, as a Christian who still lives in a in, with my uh, fallen Adamic nature, who still struggles with sin and still struggles with temptation, and sometimes give in to sin of temptation, how in the world can I do greater works than Jesus did? Let me tell you, he wouldn't have put it in there if it weren't possible. By the way, you know what he was teaching? Keep reading. Keep going to the next book. Keep reading through the apostles. Keep reading through the New Testament. And let me tell you what he's saying. He's saying this: when you are involved and bringing a person to Jesus Christ, when you are involved in, in the work for eternity, listen folks, you're doing a greater work than opening the eyes of the blind. Why would you ever think about this? All those people that Jesus rose from the dead died again. All those people that Jesus opened their blinded eyes ended up dying anyway. Okay? I'm not saying He didn't impact them. No doubt He did. But He was putting an emphasis on the fact that it's a greater work to be involved in the eternal work than it is the physical work. And by that I mean this. Being involved in things are going to matter for eternity. What do I, what, what's the statement I always make around here, folks? What are the only two things eternal on this planet? Number one, the souls of mankind. Number two, the Word of God. So when we're involved doing greater works, we're going to be involved in those two avenues right there. Working to try to see people saved. Working to try to make an impact for Jesus Christ. And, and working when it comes to the things of the Word of God. Amen? In our own lives and getting it out to other people. So Jesus was the supreme example of doing good works. Number four, let me give you another, another principle about good works. Good works should not be used to impress people. Good works should not be used to impress people. Take your Bibles. Go to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. I need you to turn for a minute because i got to hydrate. Amen? Wow, boy, oh boy, I've, uh, I'm really pushing it out today. So take a few minutes, go to Matthew chapter 6. I want you to notice here the warning that Jesus gives in this passage. Matthew chapter 6, verse 1. First couple words, take heed. You know what that means? Pay attention to what He's saying. You better make sure of something. What is it we're taking heed to? That ye do not, Matthew chapter 6, verse 1, that ye do not your alms before men to be seen of them. Otherwise, ye have no reward of your Father which is in heaven. Therefore, when thou doest thine alms, do not sound a trumpet before thee, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may have glory of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. 
But when thou doest alms, let not thy left hand know what thy right hand doeth. That thy alms may be in secret, and thy father which seeth uh, in seeth in secret himself shall reward thee openly. You know what he's saying here is this, okay? When you are doing the work of God, don't do it so people will be impressed by what you're doing. Right. Don't do it for that. Hey, listen, do it in secret. He says, in fact, this, don't even know what your left hand, know what your right hand does. Which means this, you know what? It ain't about what so-and-so sees you do. Now, I understand some of the things we do are public. I get that, okay? I understand that, you know, when we're out uh, knocking on doors or leaving flyers on doors or we're out at the fair and all the different things we do, obviously, that's more of a... And he's not saying don't be involved in things publicly, but what's the motive behind it? Why are we doing it? Are we doing it so people say, hey, look at us. Man, look what great Christians they are. Listen, folks, that's not the motivation behind it. But let's be real honest, okay? If anybody knew the real us, come on now, would there really be anything to boast about and brag about? I mean, let's just be honest. Aren't we glad nobody can read our thoughts now? Aren't we glad only God can know what's going on in this noggin right here? I'm glad. I don't want y'all to know what's going on up here. It scares you to death, amen? It scares me to death, amen? Well, listen to me, folks. Hey, the point and the purpose is not so people will look at us and think we're something great. No, it's so that they can see our good works and glorify our Father which is in heaven. Amen? Listen, good works aren't about impressing people. In fact, when our works for God become more about us than the Lord, you know what those works lead to? Pride. Amen? Pride. And the Bible is very clear about what happens when we get involved in pride. Amen? You start getting involved in pride, you better look out because there's only one direction we're going, amen? And that's down, down, down. So listen to me. Let's not make our good works about, oh yeah, look at them. Look, look how great and wonderful they are. No, listen folks, we're doing it because we love our God, amen? And we want people to know our, our God as well. So number four, good works should not be used to impress people. Number five, and this leads right into this one, the motive for our works ought to be a love for Jesus Christ. The motive for our works should be a love for Jesus Christ. John chapter 14, verse 15. A verse that I think every one of us ought to memorize. Every single one of us ought to have deep down in our hearts. Here's what Jesus said. If ye love me, keep my commandments. Amen? I don't think there's a Christian that would say, if you put him on the spot and say, if you love Jesus Christ. I don't think anyone would say, nope, I don't love him. I mean, if I went around to every single one of you and said, do you love Jesus? Do you love Jesus? I bet you everyone in this room would say, yes, I love Jesus. Well, guess what, folks? The, the measure of that is not what comes out of here. Now, should we say it? Yeah. Amen? I'd be worried about you if you said, no, I don't love Jesus Christ. But listen to me, folks. Words mean nothing if they're not backed up by tangible action. Amen? Jesus said, if you love me, tell everybody you love me. Not what He said. If you love me, keep. My commandments. You know what he's saying? Prove your love to me. By the way, did God prove His love to us? Yes or no? Yes. You better believe He proved it. Amen. For God so loved the world that He gave. He did something to prove His love. Now listen, again, we're not saved by those words, but I'm going to tell you right now what our works do. You know when we're working for the Lord, it's just saying, you know what, Jesus, I love you. I owe a debt. You, 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 you paid a debt you did not owe. I owe a debt I could not pay. And you know what? It just says this, Lord, I love you. 
It's probably not enough, but I want to do something tangible to let you know I love you. And Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. By the way, another passage says His commandments aren't grievous. Oh, I can't do that. You don't understand what God wants me to do? If I lived according to the Bible, man, I would have to give up this, give up that, blah, 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 blah. Well, I kind of think Jesus gave up a lot to come to us. Amen? We need to stop making excuses and start obeying the Word of God. Start proving our love. Take your Bible, go to Revelation chapter 2. Revelation chapter 2. Of course, this is the letters to the seven churches of Asia Minor. Seven literal churches that existed in the day that the Apostle John penned these words. And we see here that these letters were dictated to the churches, and they were dictated by Jesus Christ. Okay, John was a human instrument. John was the pen in the hand of Christ. But Christ wanted to write a letter to His churches. Here's what I often thought. Every time I read and, and, and read Revelation chapter 2 and 3, if Jesus Christ today dictated a letter to White River Baptist Church, what would it say? Okay, here's what's his letter to the church in Ephesus. All right, Revelation chapter 2. Let's look at verse 1. Under the angel of the church of Ephesus write. By the way, that angel, the word angel means messenger. And the messenger was the pastor. Okay? So you know what that means? God considers your pastor an angel. Amen? Aren't you thankful for that? You say, of course he does. But there's just a word following in front of it. Amen? No, just kidding. The church of Ephesus write, These things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. I don't have time to teach through all this, but those seven golden candlesticks are a representation of the church. I'm going to tell you right now, folks, Jesus Christ is in the midst of His church. You better believe He is. Hey, you may not see Him physically today. I guarantee you, He's here. Amen? Because He said He's here. And He's walking in the midst of His church. He's searching us. He's trying us. He wants to know what kind of church we are for Him. By the way, it ain't your church. It ain't my church. It's His church. He has every right to be here. He has every right to examine us and see if we're living a life that pleases Him or not. I know thy works, He says. And thy labor, and thy patience, and how thou canst not bear them which are evil, and thou hast tried them which say they are apostles and are not, and hast found them liars, and hast borne, and hast patience, and for my name's sake hast labored, and hast not fainted. Hey, that's a pretty good accommodation to this church. Did you hear what he said to him? He says, you're working. You don't allow false doctrine in your church. You're patient. Come on, just being patient. You know how hard that is, amen? I mean, listen. You are doing some things right, he says to them. But, but, look at verse 4. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. Let me tell you, you know what the church of Ephesus was? It was a busy working church, but it wasn't busy working for the right motive. Let me tell you what would be our, our, our motive, folks, for everything we do as Christians is because of our love for Jesus Christ. Not because, well... If we don't do this, then, you know, pastor's going to, you know, hold us accountable for it. We don't want, you know, so-and-so to think bad of us, so we better do this. No, that's not the motivation for what we do. The motivation is because we love our Savior. Amen? By the way, you start figuring that out. Temptation this week, because you love Jesus Christ. Why shouldn't you not look at certain things? Because you love Jesus Christ. Why should you treat your family the way you ought to treat them? Because you love Jesus Christ. Every motive for everything we do ought to be because we love our Savior. 
Nevertheless, I have somewhat against you because thou hast blessed thy first love. Remember there for which thou art fallen, and repent and do the first works, or else I will come to thee quickly and will remove thy candlestick out of his place, except thou repent. And let me tell you what we ought to be doing. The same thing he told the church of Ephesus to do. If we're not loving Jesus the way we ought to, we ought to repent from it. Amen? Good old-fashioned repentance. There's a word not mentioned much in modern-day Christianity. Repentance. Amen? What do I mean? It means to turn your mind. Amen? Agree with God. The fact that, God, you're exactly right. I haven't been loving the way I ought to love you, God. I love myself more. I love my sin more. I love the flesh more. I love the world more. God, I'm sorry. Please forgive me. I want to love you more. That's what we're talking about. Amen? And that love for Jesus Christ ought to be the motivation we need to work for Him. Amen? Number six, let me give you the next principle that works. Is this. There is limited time to work for the Lord. Limited time to work for the Lord. Jesus said in John chapter 9, verse 4, I must work the works of Him that sent me while it is day. The night cometh when no man can work. And folks, just as there's set hours for the work day, there's set hours for the days and the weeks, Listen, I'm going to tell you right now, there are set hours to get things done for eternity. I'm going to tell you right now, folks, the time to work for the Lord, the time to make a difference for eternity, is limited by our lifespan on this earth. You realize once you die, every opportunity to serve God is over. You realize every opportunity to tell a lost person about Jesus Christ, to impact a lost and dying world for Jesus Christ, to go about doing good the way Jesus did, the things we're talking about this morning, you realize once you take your last breath, no more opportunity for any of that. Because Jesus said, the night's coming when no man can work. Maybe you've heard of this man's name, David Brainerd. David Brainerd died when he was a young man. He was only 29. He was a young Puritan who ministered to the Indians he was one of America's most influential missionaries. Though his, wife, his life was brief, Brainerd's intense, passionate devotion to God affected countless Christians for many generations. Brainerd studied with Pastor Jedediah Mills to prepare for the ministry and was soon licensed to preach. He went to work among the Indians about halfway uh, between Stockbridge, Massachusetts and Albany, New York. He diligently learned the Indian language but had little missionary success, so he moved on. After being ordained by the Presbytery of New York, David began a new work among the Delaware Indians of Pennsylvania. Here too, Brainerd saw little success in his ministry. Though often despondent because of his ineffective ministry, loneliness, and repeated illness brought on by tuberculosis, Brainerd determined to live wholly for God's success. During 1745 to 1746, David traveled to minister to the Indians near Trenton, New Jersey, and was amazed at the immediate responsiveness of the Indians to the Christian message. Over a hundred Indians at that time came to him in the region. Brandon poured out his life in ministry to these Indians, writing that he wanted, listen to this, to burn out in one continual flame for God. He helped secure land for the Indians when theirs were threatened, and soon constructed a church, school, carpenter shop, and infirmary. By the fall of 1746, Brainerd was increasingly coughing up blood. The famous theologian pastor, Jonathan Edwards, brought him to his home in Massachusetts. There David Brainerd spent his last months succumbing to tuberculosis on October 9, 1747 at the age of 29. Now, the world would look at that and say, what a waste. What a waste. Here, here, here was a man who could have spent his 29 years doing this, doing that, working this, working that, but you know what? He spent it for what? 
a bunch of Native American Indians? What impact did he really even make? Well, after David Brainerd's death, Jonathan Edwards edited and published his diary, describing it as an example of a devotional life most worthy of limitation. This diary was to influence, don't miss this now, was to influence many missionaries for the future generations, including a man named William Carey, including a man named Henry Martin, including a man named Jim Elliott, who all these men went on to reach countless for the cause of Jesus Christ. Now you know what David Brainerd realized? My life is short. I don't have much time. I love what he said. I want my life to be a continual flame to burn out for God. Use that term nowadays, burnout. That's supposedly a bad thing. Oh man, I'm just so burnt out. I'm so burnt out. Well, guess what? If you're going to be burnt out, why don't you be burnt out for the things of God? Now, I'm not saying all that, but folks, let me tell you what life is short. And let me tell you, only what's done with our lives will matter for eternity. And that's why when Christians stand before the great Bema seat, not to give an account of her sin, but to give an account of her stewardship, there's going to be a lot of regrets in the lives of a lot of Christians. You know why? Because they didn't spend hardly any time, if any time at all, living for what really matters. And that's the... So our time to work is limited by our life on earth. And then last of all, let me give you this last point and we're done. Number seven, our works for Christ will determine our heavenly rewards. Our works for Christ will determine our heavenly rewards. Revelation chapter 14, verse 13. I understand the context of this verse is talking about the tribulation saints, but the principle is still the same. Notice what it says. And I heard a voice from heaven saying unto me, Write, Blessed are the dead which die in the Lord from henceforth. Yea, saith the Spirit, notice this, that they may rest from their labors, and their works do follow them. Isn't that interesting? That th those that, are, that uh, have given their life to the cause of Jesus Christ, when they get to heaven, the Bible says they can rest from their labors. So you know what that tells us? While we're on earth, guess what we ought to be doing, amen? We ought to be laboring. By the way, their works do follow them. You realize you can do things now that's going to matter 100 years from now? You realize that? You also realize there's a whole lot we can do now that ain't going to matter 100 years from now? I mean, come on, folks, let's be honest, okay? It ain't going to matter 100 years from now what kind of vehicle you drove up in the lot today in. True. Ain't going to matter. I don't care if it's a $100 vehicle or $100,000 vehicle. 100 years from now, none of it's going to matter. None of it's going to matter when, whether or not, you know, you have designer labor, labels on your clothes. I don't think anybody in this church probably does, amen? In fact, all my clothes came from that famous French store, Jean Pinet. All right, amen? J.C. Penny. Amen. All right, there you go. They're actually out of business, so probably not. Coles, I think. All right. I mean, listen, folks. Whether you paid a hundred bucks for your for your for your apparel or ten thousand dollars for your apparel, ain't gonna matter a hundred years from now. But you know what is gonna matter a hundred years from now? The labors you do for God. Your works will follow you. The Bible says. First Corinthians chapter three. Let's take our Bibles. This will be the last passage we turn to this morning. First Corinthians chapter three. I want to show you this because, listen, folks, we need to get this. Amen? This ought to be a thought that burns down deep in our heart, deep in our mind. If there's something you get from what I'm going to be preaching on this year, it ought to be this thought right here. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, beginning in verse 9. The Bible says this, For we are laborers together with God. Ye are God's husbandry, 
Ye are God's building, according to the grace of God which is given unto me, as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation, and another buildeth thereon, but let every man take heed how he buildeth thereon. Now, let me tell you what you see in those first two verses. First of all, you understand that this isn't about us on our own, because the Bible says we're laborers together with God. Amen? So I want you to understand something. When I'm talking about work and all that, folks, you've got to have God's help to do anything for Him. Amen? But I'm going to tell you right now, God ain't going to come down and do it by Himself. Okay? In fact, let's be honest. If we don't do the work of God, it's not going to get done. If we, as these, this congregation, don't make sure that building get puts up out there, God ain't sending Gabriel and Michael down from heaven to build our building. Ain't happening. No, because God will work through us because it is Him that does it, but we are laborers together with God. And notice what Paul says. He describes himself as a wise master builder. Now, he's not just talking about physical construction work. He's talking about how he builds the work of God in the lives of people. And by the way, we need to start taking the work of God serious. Amen? As serious as an architect would, would take designing some uh, building or bridge. We need to take serious the work of God that God's entrusted us with. Verse 11. For other foundation can no man lay that that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Well, that, that's a no-brainer. Amen? Who's the foundation of all? It's Christ. Now, if any man build upon this foundation, talking about the foundation of Jesus Christ, talking about being saved, okay, first step, foundation, being saved. If any man build upon this foundation, gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, or stubble. Okay, so it's talking about the type of materials you build with. Okay, and, and, and the point in this type of material is because you got to use the right material that's going to withstand the test. For example, all right, down in Florida and places like that, they have building codes that are made to withstand hurricanes. All right, if if we were to build our our, our church building in Florida, all right, instead of Indiana, I guarantee you there'd be things we'd have to do different because it's going to have to withstand a different test. Okay, listen, we're probably not going to get no hurricane coming through Indiana. Although I remember one year there was a remnant of the hurricane that was actually pretty strong that came through here and it was pretty powerful. But for the most part, you ain't going to get some hurricane. You're not going to get a Cat 5 coming through southern Indiana. So a different test, okay? So it matters what materials you use. Every man's work shall be made manifest or rendered apparent. For the day shall declare it because it shall be revealed by fire and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. There's coming a day of trying, and the Bible says it's going to be tried by fire. Now, let me ask you a question, okay? Again, a little bit of Bible study going on here, okay? But it's all good, amen? It's the Word of God. The Bible describes for us Jesus Christ in Revelation chapter 1 when John saw Him. And the Bible says His eyes were as a what? Flame of fire. And the fire that's going to try our works is the who, by the way, can look through everything we've ever done, and know what it is and why we did it. Amen? If any man's work abide which he had built thereon, he shall receive reward. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. Now there's a lot of spiritual truth contained in that passage I just read to you. And let me tell you, the main crux of it is this, every single one of us will either gain reward or lose reward when we stand before Jesus Christ at the judgment seat. 
based upon our labors for Him. And so, folks, I'm just trying to motivate you a little bit this morning. I tell you this all the time, but part of my job as your pastor is not to make you feel good about yourself. Now, I want to preach things that help you spiritually. And listen, I do want to encourage you. I want to help you. But let me tell you my number one goal as a pastor from the pulpit to the chair to the pew is this, is to help you have a good day at the judgment seat of Christ. That's my job as a pastor. And if I preach the word right, and I motivate you, and I encourage you, and yeah, sometimes rebuke, okay? The Bible says we got to do it, amen? Rebuke, reprove, exhort. And if I do that right, and you get your life right where it ought to be, and you start having the right kind of works, build upon the, the with the right materials, and it survives the judgment seat of Christ, you may not like me now, you'll like me a whole lot that day. That truth was preached, and you followed truth, and you applied truth, and Jesus can look at you and say, well done, good and faithful servant. But listen, not every Christian's going to hear that. Not every Christian's going to hear that. That's right. Revelation twenty two twelve. Jesus said this, and behold, I come quickly. How many believe that? Amen. I believe that. He's coming quickly. And my reward is with me. Okay, so he's coming. He's got a reward to give to every man according as his work shall be. You know what that means? You've got to earn it is what it means. So you know what we ought to be doing? Busy earning it. Not your salvation, but your heavenly rewards. And by the way, you're going to earn them based upon your obedience to the Scripture, based upon your labor for the Master. Amen? That's why it's important you take this thing, the Christian life, serious. Hey, some of you need to quit playing games in the Christian life. Quit playing games. Okay? Start getting involved in things that are going to matter for eternity. Now, I'm not saying you can't have a life outside of church. We all do. I've got certain hobbies I like to do. There's certain things. But listen to me. That doesn't dictate every moment of my life. Let me tell you what my life's about. The gospel of Jesus Christ. Everywhere I go, look at impact somebody for eternity. Now, don't tell me, oh, God, just I just haven't met anybody. Listen to me. You meet Him every day, multiple times in the day. We just don't take the opportunities. Amen? That's right. So all I'm saying is this, folks. Only the works for Christ will determine our heavenly rewards. And God has set it up in such a way to what you do now matters for eternity. We need to get serious about it. Amen? So prepared unto every good work. Number one, we're not saved by works. Number two, we're saved unto good works. Number three, Jesus set the example by doing good works. Number four, good works should not be used to impress people. Number five, our motive for good works is, to, is our love for Jesus Christ. Number six, there's a limited time to work for the Lord. And last of all, number seven, our works for Christ will determine our heavenly rewards.